Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm Dr. Blake Williamson. In this episode, my co-host, Dr. Michael Patterson, and I invited our friend Andrew Mallon from BSM Consulting to talk about the value of being a business-minded young surgeon, and we discuss important considerations for buying it into an ASC. Thank you for listening. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off Your Grid. I'm your host, Dr. Blake Williamson, and we're doing something a little bit different this time around. So uh, really this whole past season, we've had... Uh, one sort of co-host that has then picked guests and, and, and sort of done a, a round of three uh, with all different topics. And, you know, recently I went to the OOS meeting as my very uh, first time. Was, I've just joined the, the OOS organization, which side note is, is fabulous for any of you um, who have uh, uh, interest in ASC. Um, and, um, and I learned a, a whole lot, really a lot of things that I didn't even know. Um, and, uh, I thought that it may make sense for me to sort of use this podcast to uh, try to get some critical information uh, to young surgeons who are thinking about uh, or have heard about uh, buying into an ASC uh, and to tackle it from a few different sort of uh, viewpoints. Um, the first of which being, you know, what if you're a young doc who doesn't currently have any ASC ownership? Um, should you be looking into that? Uh, why should you be looking at that? What types of, you know, uh, questions do you be asking? Um, you know, sort of a guide for that. And um, the, the very first person that popped in my head is my dear friend, Michael Patterson, um, who is uh, uh, at the eye centers in Tennessee um, in Crossville and, and many other locations throughout Tennessee. Uh, and I learned so much from Michael, especially at that meeting, but just in general about business. Um, and uh, I, I'm, it's a pleasure to have you on, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Blake. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm thankful to be a part of this, and hopefully I can maybe impart something that uh, will help some surgeons around the country. Yeah, and we have, uh, we, I said, Mike, I said, I want to have somebody from the industry side, and you said, oh, man, Andrew Mallory, you got to get Andrew. Andrew from BSM Consulting, thanks for being here, buddy. Happy to be here, and uh, happy to be with uh, with such a, a, a esteemed uh, people in the industry. I you know, think highly of both of you, and so just honored to be here. So, uh, Mike, I'm going to start out with you. Um, so if I'm a young ophthalmologist, you know, it's, it's funny when, you know, you talk, you, you do a lot of teaching and, and like, you know, you'll meet these young docs who are asking questions about, um, you know, the right fit for a practice or should I go into cornea versus glaucoma or, you know, what are your FACO settings? And, and th- it, you know, I, when, I, when I'm talking to them, especially if they're in training or even right out of, out of training, the idea of business ownership and specifically ASC ownership doesn't really seem to be top of mind. And maybe that's a good thing for the, you know, while you're in training in the first year or so. But I, I feel like I always kind of had that in the back of my mind, probably because 
you know, you and I grew up in, in, in similar situations with family businesses in this, but can you kind of talk about why maybe, you know, even in training early on, you might want to start to think about the type of practice you want to be in, in terms of possibilities for ownership? Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at, there's basically two to three ways you can get out of residency. You've got you can go into academics, you can go into private practice, or you can go into a corporate practice, right? And go into a group that you're not necessarily managing anything. Um, so it's different than academics because it's still a private practice, but it's a large corporate group. Um, but it's not the same as an independent private practice in which you actually need to make decisions, maybe not the hiring and firing, though you could be doing that. And then maybe the very last thing would be to not join anything and just do your own thing and start your own process. But I do think it's a shortcoming of, not just ophthalmology, but just doctors in general, in that we often think that patients in our practice is what's going to get us through our career, but that's really, really, really a shortcoming of our training, and it really is that it's our business that's going to get us through our career, and it's not just about your patient care. You have to have good patient care. That's important per doctor, but what you need is a business so that your employees will stay at work, and your employees will want to be at work and your employees will make your patients experience better. And therefore, in turn, your practice will be better. But if you start off with, I'm just going to be a good doctor and I'm going to develop a good practice, you're wrong because you have to have customers come back to you. It's so different than in the 1900s when if you were a doctor in a town of 50,000 people, you were the person in charge. That's not how it works anymore. And so for me, Personally, I think that in, in, in private practice, when you start thinking about what you're going to do in residency, you need to do it early. You don't need to just do it kind of early. You need to do it very early. And the sooner you can get involved around people that have owned practices or owned businesses or owned something to show you what it's going to be like, the better you're going to be. Because the reality is it's a lot different than everything you've learned in residency. Very little that you learned in residency will actually be applicable to your career. Yeah. And to your point of just being a, a good doctor and being the best doctor you can be, it's like, well, of course, but that's just the ante up chip. You're just getting started. Like, of course, you want to be the best doctor you can be. But if that's all you want to do, you can kind of put yourself in a position where you might even be taken advantage of a little bit, you know, because a business owner can snatch you up and say, hey, go be the best doctor you can be. And uh, I'm going to take the, you know, this chunk of your paycheck and you're going to be paid well. You don't have to worry about all the headaches. But, you know, it, it's the idea of ownership, you know, to me is so natural. And it's just it, it doesn't even com comprehend that I would be in a practice where I couldn't, you know, have equity, uh, real equity, not just, you know, a point or two. Uh, and just look at superstars. Look at look at like the, uh, you know, sports superstars like Michael Jordan and all those guys. What do they want? They want to they want to own the team. Right. What is LeBron saying? I, I want to own the team. I don't want to just dribble. Right. So it's kind of like I want to kind of put that mindset, you know, in, in, in people from a young age that that that's something that that's possible, you know, and you can do it for a lot cheaper than owning an NBA franchise. <laughs> Andrew, what do you think about that? Do you do you have uh, the young docs? I mean, do you get, I guess you don't get calls for, for trainees, but people who are right out of school, maybe they're looking at transitions Maybe they're looking at, hey, here's a contract I got from a few different practices. Um, what, how do you, what, what, what do you, what, what's your temperature on like, you know, the, the, the want or um, the desire for young docs, maybe in their first few years out of practice 
to enter a practice that has a pathway to significant ownership shares, specifically in an ASC, since that's kind of what we're, that's what the, this podcast series is going to be about for the next couple episodes. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I think, I think it's mixed. And I think if uh, you guys were, again, kind of born into it uh, in terms of kind of that opportunity and seeing the big picture. And, and I think that's really useful, but maybe a unique perspective. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I'm finding, and mainly the conversations start when I'm reviewing a contract, right? Or when they're starting to get, they're looking at different employment opportunities. And quite frankly, today it's, oh, is, is your practice affiliated with private equity or, or do you have desires to? Because if you are, if you are affiliated or you're thinking about it, I don't think I'm interested. That's, that's kind of the natural thing that I hear. And there's nothing right or wrong about that. But from a, most of the time though, it's, you know, the natural thing is, okay, are there equity opportunities for me in the practice? And that's, again, that's fine. It's, it's not every, every time. Sometimes it's, you know, maybe in the past, ownership was more important, but right now maybe it's, you could call it quality of life or I want to come to work. I want to see patients. I want to go home, but that's, I, I think that's a smaller, smaller subset. Uh, what, what I'm, what we see more and more is, okay, what are my opportunities to become a partner? And again, that typically starts on the practice side, but if there is an affiliated surgery center, then the question, because, well, how soon can I buy in? Uh, what does that look like? Um, obviously depends on the situation you're going into. If it's a retiring physician or if it's a larger group se uh, center, what are, what are the opportunities? Like you said, not just to get maybe a point or two, but maybe to get a, a larger chunk, maybe it's 10, 15%, what, whatever it is. But um, it's, again, it's, it is mixed when, with what we're seeing in terms of is this even on the radar? Like maybe practice uh, ownership is, but not enough in terms of the surgery center piece, just because, I mean, from my perspective and probably from your guys' perspective as well, it's, you hear probably, maybe it's from your dad, maybe it's just from people you know in the industry that would say investing in the surgery center was the best investment that I ever made, Be better than stock markets, better than my practice investments, um, that's, you know, that, that's what you hear from people who have been doing it a long time. Blake, I, I think what Andrew just said is very important when it comes to investing in the surgery center, specifically in terms of what is your return on investment. And we were just talking about private practice. And I, I think of one of my best friends that I went to college with, he went to med school and he was convinced that he wanted to get the quality of life as Andrew talked about. And so he became an ER doctor. And he's in Nashville because he was going to work seven on seven off 13 days a month. And it was going to be great. And now he's in a corporate structure that he literally wishes he could change his career, but he can't because he was sold the idea of quality of life, but his life is horrible. And so I then go into the thought of the quality of life for a private practice or an ambulatory surgery center owner. And why do we want to be uh, an owner of a surgery center? And why do we want the return on investment that Andrew's talking about? If you just take the average hedge fund manager and extrapolate that out across the country and run the data on the average hedge fund, the average S&P 500 fund, or just take robo-investing with Charles Schwab, it's all almost the same. 
yet it's about three times less than what the average investment is into a surgery center. Almost regardless of your multiple, which is really an interesting thought process. Yeah. So, so Michael, I, I, you know, I agree that, that you hear, I, I do hear residents talking about all the time about pathway to partnership, quote unquote. But I agree with Andrew, largely it's the practice side. The ASC isn't even on their radar. So can you, why, why should someone listening to this who's never even thought about being an ASC owner, um, they may not even know the difference between practice ownership and ASC ownership. You know, why, why should they be looking into uh, practices that have the opportunity to buy a significant portion of an ASC? What's the benefits? Well, I, I'm not sure that I can elucidate every benefit uh, quickly, but I'll, I'll do the best I can on a few hot topics of the Ambulatory Surgery Center. So number one, you've got to operate somewhere if you're going to be a surgeon. You, ha you have to operate somewhere by definition if you're going to be a surgeon. And so why not operate at a place that's going to then pay you back for what you're already putting in? You're already going to have to cover your own supplies. You're going to cut, you know, somebody else could cover it, but they're just taking a chunk. It's not, there's no risk to this investment. It is, you're, you're betting on yourself. You know, when you, so to start your, to start your thought process as a resident or as a new surgeon is you're, you're first going to bet surely on yourself over someone else. And so I searched out ambulatory surgery center ownership. Yes, I was with my, I, I joined my father, but that was not my number one idea in residency. I did not think I was coming back home, which is, is, is shocking to many, but, but my father knows that it, it wasn't until later that I realized, yeah, I'm going to come on home, but there was no way I would have looked for a practice that didn't have ambulatory surgery ownership, partly because of the return on investment is so good. And so if you're going to do eight cataracts, 10 cataracts a day, at the bare minimum, if you could take another 30% of your income uh, off of the top of your cataract surgery, that's paid to a facility. And it's going to be paid no matter where that facility is. It doesn't matter if it's a hospital, an employee-owned ASC or a corporate. Somebody's got to get paid the facility fee. You might as well take the ownership. Number, number two, and maybe the reason I think is most important, is many people want to do high volume cataract surgery. And we have a demand in our country right now of needing surgeons that can operate at a high clip. If you want to do that and you go to a hospital or someone else's own surgery center, they're going to give you a block of time and they're going to tell you how long you can be in that operating room. That's never even come up as a question in my whole facility as to, well, we can only give you two hours, Dr. Patterson. No way. You know, it, it's whatever it takes to get the job done of what I need to accomplish because the employees work for us. They work for our facility and they, they have a vested interest themselves in producing as good of a revenue cycle as we can. And, and, and it's, it's not all about money. I think we, we're scared to talk about it. It's a taboo subject in all of medicine, but the, at the end of the day, the facility and the practice will be shut down if it doesn't have enough cash flow. And, and we, we have to understand that the doctors also won't keep operating. Why did we have the largest amount of doctors resign in the history of mankind during the pandemic? Because they stopped working. They didn't have money. They didn't, couldn't pay their employees. So it was shut down city all over our small little rural area where I live. So from an ambulatory surgery center standpoint, you think of that, you think of that model if you already know you're going to cut and you already know that you want to have something 
to show from what you've done, then why would you not want ownership? So to me, the biggest reasons are you get a return on your investment because you are going to have to invest in equipment. It's going to break. Number two, you're going to have freedom to do as many cases or as few cases as you want. Number three, you're going to have the control of having employees that you want to be around. You know, as I joke about all the time, I never have the urology scrub tech. I have the ophthalmology scrub tech. And I control that I only have ophthalmology scrub techs. And I want no other scrub techs except ophthalmology scrub techs. My nurses are only ophthalmology nurses. They don't have to go work in a brain case and then show up in my OR and have no idea what's going on. So those three things, the freedom, the control, and the ability to produce a, a return on investment are critical as a surgeon, but not just a young surgeon, for any surgeon. Yeah, no, I, I think that breaks it down beautifully. And for, for, for those who might be medical students listening to this that are you know, not to get too much over your head, just very on a very basic level, you know, when you do a cataract surgery, the reimbursement, uh, you, you, you get, you get, you know, the doctor gets paid and the place that you did the cataract surgery gets paid, whether that's a hospital or an ambulatory surgery center. And so, you know, instead of giving that to someone else, um, if you actually can, you know, own the, the, the place that you do the surgery, well, guess what? You get both payments. Um, and financially, that's going to put you in a very, very different place. It's going to, you know, triple, quadruple uh, what you bring home each year, uh, potentially. Uh, so you will make a, a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, of money compared to where you were, which is wonderful uh, for many reasons. But it is the peace of mind that Michael was talking about, the autonomy, knowing that you have your team there. And it's, there's no better way that you could be uh, more efficient than having your people and I may add for, for, for people who are just getting out, you know, you're starting to see all we, we keep seeing the cataract numbers get cut, cut and cut on the surgeon side. Well, what are the facility fee doing? They're actually staying the same or going up. Right. So so because they're tied to hospital fees, you know, it's much harder to cut a hospital because those hospitals have lobbyists and lawyers and they're very powerful. So you it's a hedge. So owning an ASC is actually a hedge because as as the as as the surgeon payment is going to keep going as close to zero as possible the facility side is not and so that's how you can continue to to earn money so andrew can you speak to that a little bit yeah yeah i, I can um I'll, I'll start with process and the, the autonomy piece first and then i'll get into the financials because i think it actually in my mind maybe works a little bit backwards um the surgery centers let me say well-run surgery centers, they're not all well-run. I think you guys probably are both at you know, centers that are very well-run, but are some of the most organized, process-oriented businesses that you will find anywhere, not just medicine, but a well-run surgery center in terms of the flow of patients in and out, the repeat of a process, a procedure again and again and again, you get very efficient, especially if you can control um, not only you know the the supplies that you use things like things like that but just your 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 staff the patient throughput it ultimately becomes kind of a volume game and if you can have a efficient enough process that you can run through a lot of cases and be be efficient your revenue your you know your variable costs or your supply costs they're pretty set the fixed costs in terms of rent, staffing, things like that, those are pretty flat costs. I mean, not, not totally flat, but uh, those stay relatively consistent. So volume, and if you have an efficient process, like I said, 
your margins, those businesses become extremely profitable. And that's probably not something that I would imagine that you typically see maybe maybe in training, maybe in, in school, just in terms of what that represents. Certainly, just in terms of my experience, looking at you know being inside the four walls of practices across the country or surgery centers, surgery centers are a lot more efficient in general, I think, than, than even practices are. It's just, there's, it's, there's fewer variables going on. So all of those things in terms of the process, the autonomy, the ability to control those things. And, you know, even, I mean, there are equity opportunities that I mean, you guys, I, I don't think either of you are in this situation, but where you could buy into a community surgery center, maybe have a little bit of a say, but it's probably multi-specialty. But if you're in your own surgery center, ophthalmology only, you have control over all of that to make it run as well as you want to run it. And so all of those things kind of contribute to ideally a strong, a strong bottom line. And as an investor, predictable, predictable return on investment, not really kind of up and down probably like practices are, but very consistent. And it's almost, again, all a function of volume. And, and so the better you can have control over that process, I think, you know, it's, it just makes it a very solid investment. And Andrew, do you, do you feel like it makes more sense to invest in building an ASC versus an office-based suite? I know that that's sort of a big topic we can cover later. Big topic, yeah. But, but I mean, doesn't it make more sense to, if you, if you had to choose, if you, if you live in a state where it's, you can easily build an ASC, isn't it not even close? It makes a lot more sense to build an ASC. It's, it's, it's not even close, um, it, it, just in terms of my experience. And obviously, the office-based surgery is somewhat of an evolving concept, but there's probably a reason that you're hearing a little bit about it, but, it's, but people, people who already have surgery or the ability to invest in existing surgery centers, it's just, you know, the, the facility revenue, just everything that goes along, it's just financially more viable and probably from as we learned at the, you know, at OOS, we were all, all together at the OOS meeting, a, a safer place for patients as well. Michael, how do you go about buying into an ASC? Can you just do it on sweat equity? Like a lot, a lot of practice models, you know, if you can kind of work it off and maybe they take it out of your paycheck because it can be pretty expensive, but I don't know that you can do that on the surgery center side. Yeah. So practice models are obviously all over the place. Some people do an indirect buy-in. Some people take it as a share of what you make per month, um, where that you're not paying the tax on that earned income and it goes to your partner you're buying into. Um, that's certainly a nice model if they'll let you do that. Some people just make you take a bank loan and you end up paying your after-tax money on that. So that's a little bit different. But when it comes to the surgery center, that's not the way it works. Um, it's it's obviously quite different. It's it's a direct share you're buying. You're buying whether some people call it points. Some people will call it, you know, I got so many points in the surgery center, however you want to call it. But you've got, you know, 10%, 10 points, however, of the 100 points or percent that's available and you're purchasing a value so you got a value whatever that value of that center is that that's based off of the cash flow of that center um, which then is extrapolated out into how much that center um, somebody thinks is worth and then often there's a multiple just like you do on any business at all and it's a multiple of how much how fast can you make your return on investment and so some centers will value that at 3x, some 6, and maybe even some 10x, okay? Um, there, there could be surgery centers even higher than that, but to keep it simple, 
you have a multiple. So if your number for your surgery center buy-in is a million dollars, that that's what they say the value per year. And then they say, you're going to pay $3 million for your 50%. I'm making this all up. Then you would have to take a loan out for the exact amount. Okay. Now what you could tell your um, people you're trying to buy in is say, listen, I can't take that big of a chunk right now. I can't afford that much. So could I buy 10%? And they'd say, sure, it's going to be $300,000 based on the example I just gave you. And you go get a loan for $300,000 in which the bank will give you. And you make your payments. You instantly, instantaneously, the next month start a cash flow because your surgery center will pay you 10%. And you pay your note off with your surgery center and probably still have profit in your bag. And you didn't have that previously. This goes back to, um, you know, I, th I think before private equity kind of came into play on the practice side, this concept of EBITDA, you know, was not really probably well understood, you know, within, within ophthalmology, within other medical specialties, but not on the, you know, if you... If you're on the surgery center side, that, that's how businesses, surgery centers are valued. It's typically a multiple of EBITDA, and we don't need to go into EBITDA. It's free, free cash flow at, at the end of, end of a period. And once we determine, okay, what, what is distributable? I'm, if I'm a 10% owner, I would get 10% of the distribution being made. It's, it's pretty simple. Um, in terms of valuation, multiple, yeah, it's it's we don't have the same flexibilities that we have on the practice side. It's, it's always going to be after tax dollars. Um, ideally that valuation is based on something that's already existing in an operating agreement. So if you're, if you're looking for, if you're, you're in a situation where you have the ability to invest into a center, um, you say, okay, well, what's it going to cost? And they'll say, well, based on our operating agreements, it is a, three times multiple of the trailing 12 months EBITDA or cash flow of the business. It's, it's simple. Whereas practices, there are lots of different ways, not only to value the business, but also to buy in, you know, because the valuation is separate from how you buy in. Surgery center, pretty simple. It's the valuation methodology, the value, you know, how you buy shares. It's, you know, it's almost, you know, if we did a poll of, you know, all the use members, it's, it's probably, you know, I would say probably 90% or more valued, you know, their shares were valued by that specific mechanism. So it's, it's, it is straightforward. And, and that's, and I like straightforward as, as, as not only as in my role, but also if I was in your guys' shoes in terms of looking at that investment, straightforward feels good to me because I can easily see based on historical data, ideally with, from the center is, what my return is going to be. If I have a $300,000 investment or a buy-in, what are my expected distributions in year one, year two, year three? You can easily see how long that's going to take you to, to pay off. Not only maybe your, maybe your annual portion of your loan, or, but just the entire principle of the loan. It's, it's just more straightforward. And like I said, I, I, like, I like easy. Yeah, it looks like uh, anywhere from a three to four X EBITDA is considered fair market value for surgeon to surgeon. So while a practice may be able to get six, seven, eight, nine plus for, from private equity, uh, surgeon to surgeon in general is around three to four X. That way you're not making it so prohibitively expensive to buy, you know, the share. Yeah. Yeah. I would have said in the past, I would have said maybe two to four is kind of the range you see out there, but 
I think with, there's lots of factors out there, but I think three to four is a pretty like narrow range that, that I see. Um, and, and sometimes that's, again, it's based on the operating agreements out there, but if it's not based on an operating agreement, if we're kind of, if I own 100% of my center and I'm offering Dr. Patterson, um, you know, 50 shares um, and I need to figure out, well, how much are my, those shares worth? Yeah, three to four um, multiple and it's typical for, I guess what I would refer to as a non-controlling interest in the center. So let's say 50, you know, 51% or 50% or less is, is where I see that range. When it's a little bit higher, and depending on who the buyer buyer of the shares are, that's when it, you start to see a little bit of an uptick in the multiple. Michael, what have what haven't we talked about in the last few minutes here? Because we want to be on time, you know. Um, maybe touch on like like what it's like to to have that conversation with an owner. Because if if you're the practice owner, you know, and different owners are different. But like you know, you've built this big, beautiful machine, and it's like it's like almost like owning a nice restaurant. And you're like, yeah, I got this restaurant, and people come in, the tables are full, the food's good, and and there's this young chef that just wants to just buy my restaurant, you know, from me. Why am I going to sell it? You know, why why would I want to do that? You know, some some uh, of the older owners that are holding on to a, big pieces of it, you know, are, are more challenging to talk to. As a young ophthalmologist, you know, what might you say to sort of you know um, uh, prepare that surgeon to go in and have that conversation of, Hey, listen, you know, I, I really want to be a part of this and, and keep it going for you long-term. If you don't mind, I'm going to say two things. I'm going to, I'm going to hit one thing that you said earlier that I wanted to go back to. And then the, the issue of talking to that owner just briefly, I want to talk about what happened during the pandemic for a lot of people and many people, including myself, never knew this was a possibility. And that is that so many supplies could go on back order. And I can tell you that owning your own independent surgery center changes the game because you can quickly pivot to different suppliers and quickly pivot to different people in a really rapid time and order different lenses, different supplies, different drapes, whatever you need quickly. And I'm going to tell you, I've got a lot of friends that were in big centers that simply could not get their stuff. They could not get supplies to cut. And a benefit of private ownership of ambulatory surgery is you get to do whatever you want. You don't go through a committee to check and see if you can buy those supplies. You just do it. You do it even if it costs you more money. You don't care. You just want to operate. If it costs you a little bit more to keep going, you keep going. So I just wanted to mention that one point. To bring back up, how do we get in as an owner and when we're talking to that owner specifically, how does it work? Well, I, it's really simple for me because I had a father that was doing it. My father was operating as the sole owner of his surgery center. And that's very common um, that there's a lot of people that own their own surgery center. And then how do they get out of it? Well, as I, as I tell people, it was hard for dad to first see it because in his mind, every, he was losing part of the money. The problem is you're stuck at a margin, no matter what business you're in, you're at a margin. And the primary surgeon, in my case, for my father, or in the case for many people, the older surgeons, they can only make so much money because they can only do so much surgery themselves. When you add the next surgeon to the mix, your overhead doesn't go up that much. You have the same microscope, you have the same implants, you have the same stretchers, the same waiting rooms, you have the same phones, same computers, all of that. All of a sudden, instead of you having to pay all this overhead and then just keep a small percentage of the profit or getting a small percentage of the revenue, all of a sudden your revenue goes way up, but all of a sudden the profit goes way up. And that's something that happened for my father that he actually made more money 
by me buying in, not because I paid him money. I did that as well, but because the value of the profit rose because we had two surgeons operating. And that is so different than when you're in a center as the person you're kind of working at max capacity of what you think you can do. And then you add an extra day or you add an extra surgeon to another room while you're going. And we did that exact same thing when we brought in another partner recently, a couple of years ago, you would think, well, he's going to take away Michael's half day. No, that's not how it worked. We increased the profit even more because again, the overhead is only marginally increased. So getting them to see kind of the, the that, that future, that potential of what, how you can grow it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, Andrew, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you last word here, buddy. Okay, yeah, there there is a fear out there, especially if I'm like Michael's situation that I'm maybe going through this the first time. That for the from the owner's perspective, that there's some sort of dilution that that happens when you're um, you know selling shares, whether it be ten percent, twenty five percent, whatever whatever the sh number of shares are. But it's the exact point that I want I was going to bring up as well was what Michael said is. It's a it's a volume issue. If you can if you can dilute some ownership but increase increase profitability because you're doing more volume, the only only costs are going up are your variable expenses. But that's that goes up and down in proportion to volume. You know maybe you incur some more staffing expenses. But tell me what else other fixed expenses go up when you when you add 500 more cases to the center outside of those. Three, you know, three things. And so it, it very quickly, and you can illustrate very easily with numbers, just how the margins increase. And even though I'm only getting, if I sold 10% of my shares, even though I'm only getting 90% of the distribution, again, like Michael said, it's 90% of a much bigger number. And that's uh, actually probably turns out to be more profitable for the, the owner who just sold shares. Mike, any final words? No, I just can't, I can't say enough to any surgeon that's seeking out practices that you need to look at both of these things that Dr. Blake Williamson's saying. You need, you need a practice that you have an ability to get in as an owner and you need an ambulatory surgery center. Both of those things need to be big metrics when you're looking at practices and you need to make sure you've got people that are being honest with you and giving you a rite of passage um, because it's, it's, it's important for not just you, it's important for the health of that practice and it's important for the health of your own family. Yeah, I, uh, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface in this half hour talking about this. And that's the point. And we're going to have two more episodes uh, on ASC ownership and, and looking at it from different viewpoints. But uh, what a way to kick it off. I appreciate your, your time. Both of you guys are experts in this topic. Uh, thank you so much for being on Off The Grid. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. And thank you to my colleagues, Dr. Michael Patterson and Andrew Maller. Until next time, this is Dr. Blake Williamson signing off.